All-Stars here. And you're going to hear from Brian Anderson, TNT. He's calling the game on Sunday with Candice Parker, 3D Dennis Scott, Reggie Miller, the entire Turner crew. So you hear from him ahead of the big game coming up on Sunday. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, NMLS number 3112, equal housing lender. I can't believe it's here. I can't believe we made it. And I can't believe how many people from the Jazz are going to be participating All-Star Weekend because Lowry's going to be in the game, Walker's going to be involved in Rising Stars, and a whole host of activity come Saturday night when Lowry's in the three-point contest. It's going to be huge. It's going to be great for the state. It's going to be great for the city. Local news people are going to be covering sports. Sports people are going to be covering news. And everyone is hoping this will be a slam dunk. Seriously, if you're visiting, if you're a local, watching local news and checking out the puns that they have for lead-ins, one of my favorite things, one of the most cringe-inducing things of the entire year, but it won't harsh my high because we made it. All-Star Weekend is here. I'm going to try to go to everything at the Huntsman Center, at Vivint Arena, everywhere in between. And if you have the opportunity and you're local, you're in Utah, just try to make it downtown. Try to go to the Gateway. I guarantee you will run into somebody who has been involved in the game of basketball, whether it's a legend, as many NBA legends for the Jazz, all the retired jerseys guys will probably be around. I know I'm talking to Ricky Green this weekend, fastest of them all, Carlos Boozer, Darren Williams. They're all going to be here. So make sure to carve out some time to get downtown, and you'll bump into someone. You will. I guarantee it. I'm excited for that. I'm excited for the weekend. I'll hit you with a podcast post-All-Star as everybody in the NBA world descends on Salt Lake. This is huge. I can't spend time on this open because Rob Perez is going to be here this morning talking to Ryan Smith. I've got to get there now. So, five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. I want you to hear from Brian Anderson because he's calling the game on Sunday. And frankly, sneaky funny. Really, his sense of humor shines out in this talk because I wanted to get background on him working in the Spurs organization, interning there with Michelle Beadle, and then rising through the ranks as one of the most notable voices in the NBA. He called LeBron's historic point-scoring night. So you hear some behind-the-scenes on that. Enjoy it. I got to run. I'm doing a podcast post-All-Star. I'm doing stuff during. There's a lot of activity going on. So let's get to it. Brian Anderson on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. 
When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Big time Brian Anderson, as I've that's, learned, with the Spurs. Wow, that's some deep intel out of the gates, JP. Well done, man. You did your homework. Michelle on Beadle Earth? was on this podcast before, so that, <laughs> okay, I've got a little know. little know. She would know. We were both uh, lowly interns with the Spurs. Yeah, big time is what Greg Popovich used to call me because we were anything but big time. So any little morsel of on-air moments that they would give us like for practice or he would walk by and goes, oh, look at you guys, big time. <laughs> and so, and it's stuck, big time Brian Anderson. That's what they, he still calls me that, believe it or not. How was it to go back to San Antonio and call one of those games knowing oh. he started there as an intern? So great. I still haven't been paid for that game, by the way, so I'm not sure what's going on there. And this, I mean, it is literally like old times where they're refusing to pay me. I think they're going to pay me in uh, in old San Francisco Steakhouse gift certificates. Um, I had a blast. I think we counted on that particular broadcast. There were eight former interns and one current intern, uh, all under this guy named Mike Kikarillo who's the VP of broadcasting, just a, an amazing guy and talent scout and father figure and brother figure and, you know, J school professor, all of that. He, he came in and uh, he's, he's like changed the arc of television for a lot of people that are working in the NBA. I mean, there's a ton of us that are out there, you know, doing all kinds of stuff like, like Michelle Beadle and me and, but all these individuals that, aren't front-facing, uh, that are producing and directing and running the Fletcher cams, the Robo cams, and uh, big-time people running EVS tape ops. And so, yeah, he's he's uh, had a great influence, so it was a blast being back. I loved every second of that. I'm thankful that Turner Sports let me go do that, kind of a one-off, and Beal and I had a great time bullying Sean Elliott the whole game. What was the experience as an intern? Because you did a lot behind mm -hmm. the camera before you were in front of it. Yeah, as a matter of fact, in that game, that uh, reunion game in November, I actually went out and I ran handheld for about three minutes. And I, and they actually mic'd me up and I, I called a couple of plays, like, a you know, three or four plays, possessions. One of them was an, a lob that was, it was awesome. So I just at one point forgot I was mic'd up and I was trying to, when you hit when you if you're watching this you you hit your thumb on the zoom control that opens up your key to the rest of the camera guys who are all my buddies and guys I used to work with so I, but I forgot I was going on the air so you know I was I I had to be reminded uh that I was going on the air which I forgot about so uh that could have been scary but it was a great experience um 
I wouldn't trade it for the world. I didn't know any better. I was just doing whatever I could back then. This is in the uh, early 90s, mid 90s. And um, it was kind of my way in, you know, my portal into the big leagues, NBA basketball. And um, back then the Spurs were at Hemisphere Arena. I was still in college. I was a college baseball player. So I needed, I stayed in the summers and I needed an extra means of income. And, you know, I didn't come from one of these rich families like Beetle did. So some of us had to work. Uh, so I had to work in the uh, summers and that was my job. I, I was a utility and I ran camera and I did audio and graphics and um, all under the tutelage of this guy, Mike Kikarillo. And, and, you know, that was just a great experience for me to learn that. And I did that for a long time while I did minor league baseball on the radio. I, I always maintained the tech work in the uh, off seasons of baseball, even after I graduated from college and became a real adult. So um, I didn't know if I was ever going to get out of that world where I was kind of doing both on air and behind the scenes. This is before that was common. Now, I think a lot of uh, broadcasters do that now just because of budget cuts and whatnot. It's pretty normal to go see a, a sports anchor set up his or her own camera, frame it, record it, you know, edit it, all of that. Back then, you didn't really do that. A lot of it was union, and you just didn't really do that. So I, I'm I'm very grateful for that experience and can always talk tech. I know just enough to be scary with all of our camera ops and our tape ops, even to this day. What was the camera work that you did that day? How do you rate yourself now? Oh, man, it was some of my best work. Like, I'm thinking if <laughs> oh, okay. this broadcasting thing doesn't work out, I got a chance. Uh, no, it was it felt good. I, I can tell you my back was on fire, though. <laughs> I was not prepared for, you know, I'm 51 years old now, and I hadn't had a camera on my shoulder on the floor uh, in 20 years, 25 years almost. So, yeah. That was a new experience that uh, it used to be no problem. And I'd sit there all game and wouldn't even think about it. And then three minutes in, I'm going, oh, boy, I'm I'm getting a little hot back in there in the lower back. But it was good. You have to go check it out on, uh, I think it's on YouTube or maybe uh, you'll have to check the Bally Sports Southwest, I think they're called. They they put out a bunch of stuff and it was it was really fun. And uh, like I said, I, I got to run camera for a lob that was I'm right under the goal so it, it happened right in front of me and I managed to keep everything in frame and in focus and I called it which was kind of cool I used to do that all the time I used to practice my play-by-play -play while I was running camera so wow. it just it threw me right back into that you know that mode 30 years ago where that's how I practice I would listen to the announcers at that time guy by the name of Dave Barnett and I would just, you know, kind of riff along with him. This is all under my breath as I'm running camera. And I would practice um, my play-by-play -play and think about the way I would call it and sense, you know, fast breaks, transition buckets, all that stuff. So it felt very normal, believe it or not, even though it's been a long time since I used to do that. Make yourself indispensable. And if you can do yeah. it all, there you go. I mean, I was doing whatever I could, man. I needed to uh, pay the bills. So you want me to run camera? No problem. You want me to? Here's a fun fact. So when we, you know, the game they had in the Alamo Dome this year? Yeah. So they had all these old pictures of the first game in the Alamo Dome. Well, <clears throat> I was on the crew that literally moved the Jumbotron, took every 
shell down of the Jumbotron, put it on a flatbed truck, drove it down the road to the Alamo Dome from Hemisphere Arena and rebuilt it in the brand new Alamo Dome. I was like one of three people that worked on that um, building Jumbotron, the actual in-house screen. Uh, so like I did whatever you want to do that. That's four days of work. Absolutely. I'm all in. So we worked you know, like 18 hour days moving Jumbotron wow. over so it could be ready for a football game which was the first thing they had in that arena so or that stadium yeah so yeah i was willing my hand was always up put it that way now let me tell you about first colony mortgage they've been serving the lending needs of utah for more than 35 years as a mortgage banker first colony mortgage offers advantages over other lenders not only do they process mortgages they also underwrite fund and close mortgage loans all in-house their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs just check them out first colony mortgage the official mortgage lender of the utah jazz covering them early is kind of the start of Greg Popovich and mm -hmm. them seeing the Utah Jazz and the way that they had done it and kind of feeding off of each other, modeling each other off of uh, that success, that longevity. What have you made of how long that that franchise has been able to sustain and make the playoffs, have championships, do all the things that they've done in the NBA? Well, they certainly modeled themselves after the Jazz. And I, I would say Greg Popovich is game plan mirrored Jerry Sloan's and I think that's you know he that was one of his mentors he looked up to Jerry a great deal he he quoted him often talked about him often um they had a lot of matchups together through the years of course but um Greg Popovich in his come up was looking at what organization he wanted to model the Spurs after and and it certainly was the Jazz number one um and that goes to relationship between owner, general manager, coach, that, you know, that um, triad of uh, Greg Popovich used to just call it the seal, where if the players knew that that seal was tight between owner, general manager, coach, um, then you could, and there was longevity and stability there, then you could build a system and a program because, you know, players <clears throat> were going to have a hard time circumventing that. And so, and obviously Greg Popovich became the GM uh, first, then went to coaching and then did both roles. And then he brought in a GM weird that a coach would bring in a GM, uh, but that's the way it worked in San Antonio. And it was very much after the, the Sloan model and, and the Utah jazz. So their longevity is impressive there. I think it's probably going to change, you know, they're, they're at a crossroads in their organization where, you know, I'm sure at some point, whenever Greg Popovich wants to call it quits, he's going to hand the reins over in some way. I don't know if that'll be this summer or next or the year after, but it's pretty much in his hands to either turn over and let it advance forward or just kind of keep the theme alive and the teaching alive while they're in this rebuild. But at some point, I'm sure there's going to be a handoff and uh, it'll be it'll be a different era 
once that starts, you know, Popovich is kind of the last remaining pieces of that. R.C. Buford, of course, who's now the president of all the Spurs, both business and basketball ops. But, you know, those two guys are really uh, what's left. Well, and there's so many tentacles across the league of Greg Popovich coaching acolytes. You've got uh, Will Hardy here in Utah. You've got Mike Brown, who spent time with San Antonio. What have you made of all these coaches that got their start in San Antonio and are having success on their own beyond uh, Texas? Yeah, and I think, you know, Quinn Snyder was certainly uh, in that in that uh, camp for a while, um, coaching the G League team with the Spurs before he ended up uh, with the Jazz. And, you know, I think that's just goes to show you of how successful and how proper the function is of this system. And and everybody's taken it and done different things with it. They've added layers to it. Mike Budenholzer certainly added layers. Um, but, you know, Pop was really good to his assistant coaches and he was really good to his staff. And when you were in that inner circle, you know, you felt like you were – involved in something special uh and that wasn't the case early don't get me wrong it wasn't always rosy with with pop and the spurs especially in those early years but once they won the first championship in 99 you know it was pretty much that was the model and many coaches have evolved through that model to the point where uh some of these assistant coaches have the extra branch so greg popovich and mike budenholzer but then mike budenholzer to taylor jenkins uh, in Memphis. So, you know, it's, um, there's a, it's a huge list. It's great for me because as I go around, just to, you're kind of a made man. If you spend any time with the Spurs and I spent eight years as an announcer, seven years, six years as a tech op. Like I was there when Jerry Tarkanian was the head coach. That was when I first started. Um, and then into John Lucas. And so, you know, I've got a long history with that organization and I've seen, I get asked all the time, even by current employers um, like the Milwaukee Brewers, who I still do games for. When I first got the job with the Brewers, the general manager there, Doug Melvin, he wanted to know what was the secret sauce with the Spurs. So it gives you a lot of street cred. I don't really know the secret sauce, but I, I could at least uh, fake it for a little bit and tell them my observations from a media perspective. Did you ever get popped? Oh, are you kidding me? I was like, like I was pop. I was the popped <laughs> guy. Like Michelle Beadle always got treated nicely. He never said boo to Beadle, <clears throat> but no, before it became a story, before it was cool, before anybody ever even talked about it, I was the guy starting in 1999, just wearing it from Greg Popovich. But I will say this on the air, that was almost a little bit of a bit. He didn't really want to do it. And he didn't want to do the interviews, so that's why he did that. But uh, he was so good to me off the air. It almost, as long as I didn't blow his cover, it was actually, in a weird way, kind of a loving thing to do. Made me better, I'll tell you that, man. I, you better come in with questions. You better, uh, you better not come in with softballs and open-ended questions and your opinions. Um, I learned that quick. So made me a better journalist for sure. And I'm actually very grateful that I, I had that hard experience with him. Um, you know, I was there eight years, the first two years, it was like, man, I, I'm going to have to quit. I can't even do this job. I don't even know what I'm doing. I get yelled at every day by this guy, but I'm, I'm stronger for it. Well, and I bet, you know, 
you give him a yes, no, he'll take that avenue. Yes, no, he'll he'll take that immediately. Every time. And every time. Everybody else is a breeze after pop <laughs> when you deal with that on air bit. <clears throat> it is. At the same time, I tried to take the same model. Right. To the other interviews. And, you know, and I think, I think other coaches were, I can remember Phil Jackson one time I, I had interviewed Phil Jackson and this is when he's with the Lakers now. And I, I can remember after the interview, he goes, you know, I appreciate you asking good questions and thoughtful questions. You know, I'm 27 years old at the time going, man, that's cool. But really the, the thanks belongs to Greg Popovich because I'd never, and to this day, I don't go into interviews without being ready being ready, being prepared and and being thoughtful with those questions and legitimately trying to find out what's going on as opposed to, yeah, how'd your team play today? Or, you know, what do you, what do you think about Tim Duncan? You know, you can't, you just can't ask questions like that. So made me, made me better. And I still use all those practices today. How do you approach a big game like last week with LeBron? and trying to set the scoring record because so many of these games you're documenting history, but this is even extra history. This will go in the hall of fame in Springfield because he <laughs> has a chance to get this record. You know, I remember watching the chick Hearn call of that jazz game with Kareem because we're working on a jazz <laughs> history series for next year. Cause it'll be the 50th season of the franchise. And those indelible moments live on forever. How do you approach a spot like that where you know this might be played for forever? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I've been asked that quite a bit. And I, what I'll say is, and I, and I want to answer this to those in your audience that might be thinking about this industry or any other line of work. You know, uh, I learned this from golfers when I was covering golf for Golf Channel. They always talked about getting into the fire and then learning how your body reacts, how your brain reacts, your nerves. And I could remember having conversations with guys and like truly wanting to learn, well, how do you compartmentalize that? How do you manage stress? How do you deal with these grandiose moments? And I remember having a conversation with Brant Snedeker who had a chance to win the masters one year. And he, he didn't play well on the back nine on Sunday at Augusta. And, and he talked about, you know, I didn't, I it didn't define him as a human. It just, he realized that I need to do better. And I took a lot of that into games like this. Now I've had a few milestones to call. I've called Trevor Hoffman's uh, saves record at the time. He got to 600 career saves later to be broken by Mariano Rivera. I called Stephen Curry's three point record. Yep. And each time I'm adding some of these principles. So in this case with LeBron, it just felt like, okay, I'm, I've been through this before. What I want to do is acknowledge the anxiety that you're feeling and put it in a box and put the box away and we'll acknowledge it later. And I think just that visual of like, instead of trying to ignore it and act like it's not a big deal, it's better to acknowledge it, put it in a box. I mean, it's psychology 101 really, but it's all about how to perform under duress. And this can be applied to any, any job that anybody has listening or watching this podcast. And it's been really helpful. And I, I wouldn't say that I was a total believer in it, but just acknowledging it, that mental image of putting in a box and putting it to the side and then moving on with, 
your experience, what you've done, your execution, things that you've done your whole life, at least in my case, the last 30 years. Um, that's how I approached it. As far as like legitimate prep, things you would write down and prepare for, it was like two spinning wheels. So there's the prep for the game and all the things that a game requires that I do every day. But then there's this historical piece that you want to add. What does it mean? And I would just start to chase down rabbit holes, the things I was interested in. Like when was LeBron's first points? What what were the details of that game? How old was he? How old was he, you know, when certain milestones happened? And so that's that was kind of how I went about the prep. And then wanting to make sure I didn't script anything out. Had some thoughts in my head, but I didn't write one thing down because I wanted to just feel it and be in the moment. Whatever that moment was, it was going to be, which is really scary to do for somebody in my position. Um, because you, you know, like I remember him being a basket away thinking, man, I don't have anything written, like thought about, I don't have a safety net, but you know, it's always better when you can just react and call it. And as LeBron was, he made the basket and he's going to the other end of the floor and he's all by himself. There's nobody around him. It just hit me that LeBron stands alone. And that's why I said that because I'm, I'm watching the monitor there and, you know, I'm really glad that he went down there. If he'd have been mobbed by his teammates, I might not have, I probably would have said something else, but I love the idea that he stands alone. And that was, that was really cool. And um, I'm glad he was standing alone when I said that. So that was kind of the Cliff's notes version of how you approach it. In my opinion, from a psychological perspective, from a literal note-taking perspective and preparation. What was that scene afterwards? Cause it's kind of awkward that, you have this entire stop, the celebration of the moment. It goes to Kareem and LeBron, and then you're back to game action the last <laughs> seconds of the third quarter. How'd you go about that? Yeah, well, that's when it all kind of comes flooding back, too, because, you know, in those moments, believe it or not, even though I'm the one saying the words, you don't really know what you said, or, or I don't. Like, right. I don't. I, I don't know how it went. I don't. And so you, you immediately start those thoughts like, oh boy, how'd that go? Did I, did I do that right? Did I say something I wasn't supposed to? Did I miss it? Did I get it? Whatever. So you got to quickly put those thoughts in a box too, because the presentation helped, you know, we knew we were going to stop the game. So you can kind of throw it in there and you throw it to the PA announcer and they do their bit. But then you know you're coming back and there's a game to call. So at that point, you kind of lock back into, okay, not the historical piece of this, but let's finish the quarter. And then, you know, we as a television network are going to like unload all of the stuff that we have at our arsenal going to that commercial. So I knew that. So then I'm thinking about, okay, what do I want to say here? I haven't seen the images, but what do I want to say? And so, you know, it's more like you're just dismissing the last 10 seconds because, you know, what we call a rollout, you're, you're trying to hit those marks, too. And then as we come back from break, we start the fourth quarter. We're going to roll in with a bunch of stuff and we're going to have some more timepiece moments. But then once we get to the actual ball and play, then, you know, it's my job to, like, remind everybody that Oklahoma City's leading this game and they've got a really good young team. And so it was like, you know, it was those those spinning wheels throughout the entire rest of the game. How many more points is he going to score? He only had two more, and then he got hurt and had to leave the game. So you could tell that was a story that was developing because he was really having a tough time with his foot. And 
so that became the story. You know, he he's taken himself off the floor with three minutes left and a close game. So that's a, you know that would have been a story anyway, but especially on this night. So now it's just like back into fully present in the moment and do what we always do. So yeah, that's that's the aftermath of history. And then you're as soon as you get off the air, now that's when all that anxiety comes falling <laughs> out of you. And uh then you wonder, was it worthy? Was it good enough from our perspective as a network, from my perspective as a game announcer? Well what what do you think? Was it worthy? That's not that's not up to me. I did the best I could, but it's not up to me to determine that. I was, you know, we're, we were happy with our coverage. I'm certainly happy with the call, but, you know, that's not for me to determine. One layman's perspective, I enjoyed the call. I enjoyed watching nice. that Thank moment. You. It was a goosebumps. Oh, my goodness. I'm going to remember when LeBron passed Kareem for the all-time points leader. So a special night in the NBA. I really yeah. – I appreciate what you guys did with it. Thank you. That's good to hear because it's really the best thing to hear is like, I didn't even really notice the announcer. That's kind of where we want to be, at least where I want to be. It's almost like an official at that point. So the fact you brought up, oh, this is a special night for LeBron in history. And you're not saying, oh my God, Brian Anderson ruined that moment for me. (laughs) Like that's the, (laughs) that's the tension. (laughs) So we, we want to be ignored as much as possible. Believe me. You won't be ignored when you call the All-Star game here on Sunday, though. Oh, yes, it... I will. <laughs> yes, I will. We got a lot of big personalities and voices. You, you'll oh, that's be true. Amazed. You'll be amazed at how ignored I'll be. <laughs> oh, right. It's TNT. I forget. You guys have a lot of uh, pretty good personalities. Yes. Shaq, Chuck, Ernie. Huh, and and are... with me, Reggie, Candace, yeah, Candace. making history. Yep. trailblazer that she is first a uh, woman to call an all-star game as an analyst um dennis scott who's as big of a personality as we have in the game is on the sideline he's going to be doing interviews it's going to be great it'll be and i am more than happy to just blend in with the carpet i um i can't wait to uh watch this all unfold and we'll have a good fourth quarter it'll be exciting and all the other stuff in the game will be very entertaining um but it's it's going to be a blast. I've never done one. I've done all the other stuff. I've done the rookie sophomore. I've done the All Star Saturday night. Um, so this will be my first time doing the All Star game. I've done baseball All Star games in the past, and I've kind of done like golf made for TV events, which this will feel a lot like me just quarterbacking or point guarding all of these elements and commercials and promos, and that's my job. Did to, you do a Rising Stars in. with Donovan? I did. And Miles. Miles right. Turner and Donovan Mitchell. They were my partners. Yeah. Good memory. Donovan's a natural at this. Oh, both game. of them were great. Great. Both of them asked, especially Miles leading up to Donovan. You know, you, he's kind of the star. He walks in <laughs> ready to roll, but he was tremendous on the air. And he and Miles really worked well together, and I kind of like pushed them together quite a bit during the broadcast just to get them engaged. They were awesome. And Luca made a half court shot that game. Zion had about ten tries at a windmill dunk that he couldn't quite get down. That was a great memory. That was in Chicago. 
did a whole bunch of party. And I remember that he had all kind of parties to go to. And I was like, wow, how do you do it? Aren't you supposed to be resting? And I forgot he was like 23 <laughs> years old. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would have been doing, you going to the Jordan party, huh? Oh, that's cool. Any chance you got a plus one on that one? So <laughs> needless to say, I was uh, completely ignored that day as well, which is perfectly okay. It's okay by you. <laughs> okay by me. How do you approach it with the new format of drafting players right before the game? Yeah, that'll be a challenge uh, just to keep it organized, you know, but the good thing is they're, I've covered all these guys. They're incredibly recognizable, famous individuals. So there's not a whole lot for me to add other than just making sure my cards are in the proper order, which I would do days before, as opposed to, 30 minutes before we got a plan and that's all that's actually part of the drama i think it's going to be really fun to see who picks who and to see these world-class athletes you know the guy who gets picked last i can't wait to get his thoughts and the way he plays and so because they're all capable i'm glad lord marketing's in the starting lineup because i've kind of had a feeling he might be the last guy just because of not because of his talent, just because like it's it's an easy sell when the hometown guy is the last guy. And uh, although he may have gone early to get the hometown crowd on their side, I'm not sure what the strategy was. But yeah, that'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that. the The target score ending, Elam ending, is really entertaining. I've been a huge fan of that. I think it's uh, a nice ad. Playing for charity, the first you know three quarters, which is kind of the focus. That's cool. I think that's a good thing. We probably should play that up a little bit more because those are real dollars that are making a real impact on people's lives. And, you know, that's uh, that's cool. And I, I love the you get to the fourth quarter. It'll be it'll be fun. What are you made of Lowry's start to his <clears throat> jazz career? Gosh, great. Making an all star team and now being named a starter. Such a good player. I mean, he was always a good player, even with the Bulls. You know, you just saw this great potential in him and. But I didn't know you could unlock this kind of success. And credit to the Jazz. I mean, they've done a really good – this is going back to what we talked about earlier with, like, Spurs culture. And, you know, the Spurs always developed and made players two clicks better than they were. And so if that means Tim Duncan was going to be a great player, now he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, you know, I, I can think about, like, Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and even Brent Barry – you know, uh, Bruce Bowen, who's got his number retired, he was not thought of as a, he thought of as a journeyman at that point. So the Jazz are the same way, and I think it's a lot of that same DNA. And looking at market and size and skill level and agility, touch, it's like all the pieces are there in the stew to make it taste good. He just needs the right kind of fit, and man, it's been awesome to watch. It's uh happy for him i don't know him that well but i've covered him a lot of years and he just puts his head down does his job and plays hard and i'm really happy for his success it's going to be a really great moment for him in salt lake city on sunday well we're looking forward to it and we're looking forward to you on the call brian anderson tnt thank you, thank you so much for taking the time big time big time i'll let you call me that